0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the fifth episode of Uplate with Blockstone. Can you believe we're already on our fifth episode? Brandon, I cannot believe it. And today we're diving into Andrew Stanton's emotional aquatic adventure, Finding Nemo. We were lucky enough to get Craig Good, who was a camera polish artist on the film,
1: and David Salter, the editor of Nemo, to talk about their experiences bringing this classic
0: film to life. So, so without, without further ado, ado let's dive into, into our analysis
1: and interview. interview.
0: All right. uh, Finding Nemo was the fifth Pixar animated movie. Uh, It's the first Pixar film directed solely by Andrew Stanton, who previously wrote Toy Story 1 and 2, Monsters, Inc., and Bugs Life. So he wrote the first five Pixar movies. It's co-directed by Lee Unkrich, who previously co-directed Toy Story 2 and Monsters, Inc. So he literally had six years of work on movies straight. He went straight from Toy Story 2 to Monsters, Inc., straight to this movie uh that's kind of the history of this movie uh it uh it it got nominated for a ton of academy awards including best original screenplay which is rare for an animated movie i think it was probably the most one of the most if not the most profitable movie of that year uh and it's probably actually pixar's most uh, memorable movie in terms of lines and everything it seems to be the one that's ingrained in everyone's head the most from every scene. And so that's the history of the movie. Uh, So
1: let's move on. Yeah, exactly. We should move into just some general thoughts about the movie. Uh, Something that I noticed right away, uh, after I've seen this movie many times, something I noticed specifically through this watching of it uh, is the comparison between animals and humans. And I asked myself the question, how do you make fish relatable? And I think the best way to do that is to make them act like humans. And I saw a very human-like relationship in these fish, especially with uh, the way Marlin treats his son. I pictured it like uh, a parent or a family moving into a new neighborhood and sending his kid out to school for the first time. It can be nerve-wracking. And I think um, Finding Nemo is definitely a relatable story, especially for parents. Uh, it's a very parental movie, I think, that I, that I noticed very right much So that, that was something I kind of took notes on a lot, was um, this fish and human relationship.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point, Basil, especially even like smaller things like um, the shark kind of rehab situation. You know, I was kind of too young to understand those things the first time I'm watch through. But like just small little character like points that they all have, um, how Gil comes up and talks uh, about almost betting on what equipment the dentist uh, will use in the, you know, in the shop. So just small things like that. I think really shine.
0: The biggest thing I noticed this watch round is I think that the message is pretty straightforward and like pretty in your face, but it was all the little subtle things that led to that message. I, when I was younger and I saw Dory a lot, I thought that the placement was just kind of like, oh, here is a character that's very kind of uh, uh, like very, uh, you know, almost like, you know, he, he's always grumpy and then he's paired with this really lovable character. I realize now it's more intentional than that. Uh, they make it very clear at the beginning of the movie that Nemo has a disability with his fin. And that is one of the reasons why Marlon is not confident in his son. And he trusts his his son less because of that. And with Dory's whole uh, short-term memory loss and her disability, you see it multiple times. He doesn't fully trust her. Uh, And I think it's interesting. He needed the Dory thing to happen because from how he his relationship with Dory through the journey, it actually expanded what he thought of his relationship with Nemo. And I think that was really cool, especially since Dory, uh, since Dory also struggles a lot.
3: Yeah. Uh, I agree with everything that you've said so far, um, Brandon. And actually another thing that's kind of interesting was actually uh, what I kind of noticed was that narratively Dory actually kind of had a very, in- actually created a bunch of interesting problems throughout the entire thing because it's, uh because we we the audience get all the information that we need but then it's funny how that kind of ends up going in complete reverse whenever dory hears it because then like for example she has this when she gets told don't go go through the trench don't go above it um she actually instantly forgets that and therefore that creates the conflict of that whole jellyfish scene that we see later um, and which leads ultimately leads them to the EAC, but also le- leads uh, Dory to get a little scarred and have them go through something that they wouldn't have had to have gone through if Dory had remembered exactly what the person had said.
0: I actually disagree with some of what you said Hayden. I think the whole reason why they get as far as they do is because of Dory. Um, she, she forgets the trench thing, but then something instinctually tells her to go through the trench. Marlin doesn't trust her because he's like, ah, she's like a, you know, she's a klutz. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And then they both pay the price for it. Marlin doesn't trust her with the whale thing twice, once when they're approaching the whale and second when they're on the tongue of the whale. And as a result of that, they they get further because of Dory. Uh, Dory doesn't set them back. Marlin, if anything, is the character that's bringing them back. Dory is propelling them
4: forward.
2: I, I definitely agree. I was about to kind of say basically what what you just said, Brandon, because for the longest time I remembered Dory being a, being the crutch of the group. And so it is interesting the second time that I mean, they both, I would argue, have needed skill sets. you know. Um, Marlon has the kind of the more social like awareness that is needed to at least even try to find Nemo, you know while dory's suffering from her short-term memory loss but at the same time uh brandon you bring up a really good point that like yeah dory has a crazy interesting skill set of being able to actually talk to whales and um even though like she suffers from short term she's able to you know remember that hey that was a red flag that these people told me and she's more personable to even uh, the other common fish that they meet along the way and I feel like even the sharks and um, everybody just gravitate towards Dory in the show and feel more free to kind of give their, you know, help to Dory.
5: I agree with the Dory thing. And I also think you made a really good point where you're getting to a really good point when you said like each character has their strength. And I think that's the strongest part about this movie is each character has a strength and has a weakness. And like each character's strength makes up for the weakness of another character um, and you see that with like, and, and also by the end of the movie, all these characters' weaknesses are something that they kind of like conquer. Like Dory and her memory thing uh, at the very end, you know, she remembers, you know, Marlin being a protective dad. He, you know, lets that go after his son proves himself. And that's his son's thing is his son proving himself, or, sorry, Nemo proving himself, you know, that he can be not without his dad, but he can be more independent and isn't dependent on his father.
3: Yeah, honestly, upon like all those other parts, I definitely agree a little bit more. Um, I kind of reverse, going in a little bit in reverse, and actually how it seems that Dory having short-term memory loss actually allows her to try out a lot more things than, um, or is given a little bit more freedom than Marlon, who constantly is stuck in the past. When it comes to thinking about all the mistakes that he made now he's a lot more cautious of when he approaches any situation because of being connected, having that longer memory of saying, Oh, if I try anything new, like for example, try to set up a family, try to find a new home and stuff like that, it's ultimately going to be met with it um, will be torn down, torn down in the end. And I feel like just to agree with what everyone's been saying that Dory's short-term memory actually allows her more freedom than Marlon, who's constantly feeling he has to be cautious about everything because of all the memories, all the bad memories he's had in his life, um, especially when uh, he lost his family, basically lo- almost lost his entire family to that Barracuda attack. Um, and that memory is just uh, constantly kind of conforming him into one box.
6: Well oh, yeah. well, One of the things I like the most about this is kind of changing it a little bit. But, like, I feel like what's great about this movie is that they put in so many, like, different characters. Like, this felt like picture is, like, one of its, like, biggest movies. There's a lot of like small characters like the sharks and the turtles and the crabs and like this, the birds. But I think that I think that's part of the reason why I like it is just because like there's no like really like slow part in this movie. I don't feel like
1: I think that's a good point. I feel like a bug's life was their first like take on how many characters can you put into a movie,
0: and it worked to some extent. We even talked about that in our bug's life podcast that Nemo was the first one that got it right. Absolutely, that's very yeah. true. I think there's a
1: lot of memorable characters, and I Maybe there are more. There's more overlapping in a bug's life in terms of the characters. So Finding Nemo had very original characters uh, that, that differ. Like Bruce is so different from
0: Crush, yeah. and and Crush is so much different than the Pelican. Like it really works I well. Really, I really like Hayden's point about Dory not having memories, allowing her to move on, whereas Marlin's memory is bringing him back. I thought that was a really good point. I really quickly uh, want to talk about Gill. Um, And what he represents to Nemo in the tank, which is a father that is, uh, super, uh, Nemo, when he gets stuck in the little pipe, uh, in the beginning, he's kind of like, I have a bad fin. I can't do it. Gil is kind of like the opposite of Marlin, which he ends up about to pay for towards the end, right? When he's been so unprotective of Nemo, that Nemo almost dies because of it. Right. But then he, uh, yeah. So I think that's interesting, too. It's like the whole nuances of parenthood. It's not just being too it's not being overprotective is a bad thing. It's just a thing. But it's also like it's in the middle. Yeah. You can't you can't be too loose like Gil, but you can't be too uh, have too much rules like Marlin. and both of those characters figure that out. Around there the
1: there were two quotes that I noticed right from the from the beginning that Marlon says to Nemo is, you'll never get out there yourself and you think you can do these things, but you can't.
0: Which he repeats to Dory.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I love I love how that changes by the end. You, you see this true arc of Marlon having all these rules and learning, we, like Marlon has his experiences in the past and doesn't want them to happen anymore. Nemo, That eventually he changes a complete 360 band and goes, you know what? I can still love my son and still be somewhat protective of him, but let him have his own life. Yeah. I, I think Dory even says
0: that, Like, but if he doesn't do anything, then he'll never do anything. Yeah, like it's a weird thing to promise him that nothing will ever happen to him. Uh, The final thing before we get back to Sawyer and Tom is that at the beginning of the movie, they, their home is like in a very... I even brought up a comparison image because I never realized this before. So in the beginning of the movie, this is Marlon's home. And Marlon kind of says like, uh, you know, the comment is like, do we really need this much space? And he's like very supportive of the idea of like, I want my kids to wake up and just see like a whale. You know, he loves the ocean in the beginning. And then this is the home after the death, which is secluded, completely isolated from everything. He doesn't want his kids to see anything. And I thought that was a really, really, and it was a small little thing that I don't think I noticed before re-watching it. That's a really good point, Brandon. Absolutely. I'll yeah. turn it over to Sawyer now.
2: Yeah, to be honest, I didn't even notice like that they switched homes. So <laughs> that's a great call out for sure. Yeah. I also think Crush uh, was a good representation of fatherhood. Um, when we were seeing um, Squirt go through, um, go through,
7: the, he went out of the vortex right he went
2: out of the vortex and he kind of is out on his own really kind of had to do his own thing um marlon was in support of immediately trying to help him in stopping everything he could do and crush who is actually the father was like yo he needs to figure this out at some point let's just see what squirt can do first before we even try to do something and all of a sudden we see his son get to grow by himself and, um, it, it was just a cool, like, I feel like every single person, um, either com- like that they met along the way, Marlon and Dory, um, helps either de- debunk a stereotype or teach Marlon about parenting or how we brought up with Dory teach, uh, teach him that there's more that meets the eye of people. Like, I think that, um, everybody was meaningful on the way.
1: Hayden, I love the point you brought up about trying to be happy. And I think we see that best in the joke that he tells about the sea cucumber and the mollusk. How he tries to be a funny person and tries to be happy and tries to tell the joke and he can't because he has he's so preoccupied with Nima going off to school, losing his wife and all his fit and all his children. Like it's like a big deal for him. And then at the end, when he finally overcomes that and can finally be happy and like can calm down a little bit. And the voice acting change, like you mentioned, Benny can tell the joke and it's
0: funny and he becomes a more open and optimistic character. So absolutely, it's a really great point you brought Marlon is, I think, the funniest character in this movie. Like, when I was younger, it was Dory. And I think when I was rewatching it, I was like, there's no way it's like, I think Marlon's the funniest character. The delivery, the voice acting is really, I don't know, like I really empathize with the character. Okay, so uh, before we get into this next section, which originally was best character, but now I'm gonna do best sequence. Because through the movie, it's like, uh, what is it? It's the sharks and then the anglerfish, the jellyfish and the turtles. I think that would be a cooler way to do it. Uh, one thing I want to bring up real quick is that the director, of this Andrew Stanton, said he got the inspiration from this movie because of the one thing that angered him while watching The Lion King, which was the idea of the circle of life being seen from the people that are highest on the food chain. And uh and so, like, it's almost like he, he, he it's happening and it's like the antelope are, like, running around. And it's like, oh, the, you know, the antelope are okay with this because it's part of the circle of life. And in this movie, it's, like, about... It's literally the antelope in, the, uh, in like the... The ocean. In the ocean. It's, like, the fish. And I think that's interesting. Sawyer, I think you have something you
2: wanted to say. Um, I wanted to point out before we go how mankind... <laughs> was kind of the antagonist of the film. So I'm really happy you agreed with that. <laughs> um, Not I even love... just mankind, all the fish in the ocean. Yeah. Are, like, I like to probably... kill them. Yeah, for sure. I do want to point out though, like, you know, the landmines, the the sunken ship that's kind of, you know, polluting everything. Um, the scuba divers who are cap- literally captured Nemo. The the whole conflict of the entire sh- thing is like, we took, you know, a fish away from the father and like literally the doctor even has a line that says I rescued the poor, the poor soul. You know, um, it's just so interesting to me of like um, the, the pipes, you know, of all of the, the, the pollution down there. Like it's just yeah. all like it's so the net that literally the climactic ending of like the net capturing all those fish, almost capturing Dory Um, it's like, it's pretty interesting how Andrew and his team was able to kind of like, you know, display that a small antagonistic role of humans throughout the whole show. Tom,
7: I I kind of felt that like the humans weren't really being antagonists necessarily by, by like on purpose yeah totally i think they were all like oblivious to what they're actually doing right especially like in toy story like two i think we see the same thing you've got what's the the toy collector's name he doesn't understand anything he's just like i have these cool toys and they're really cool and i got them at a a yard sale i stole them and then these that's just kind of his whole thing he doesn't realize these ruining lives at the same time and i think that's kind of a common theme in most pixar movies totally
5: that's why in this movie you 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 mentioned like the human thing and uh at least i didn't hear you mention but the little girl um what's her name darla darla Darla? Darla? yeah oh my goodness man i remember as a kid i hated her so much and i love the way they use her like with the the tapping scene on the fish tank because you know you're told all the time don't tap on the fish tank but you never really get what that perspective of that is until you like watch this movie and then you see it and you're like oh that makes more sense and stuff and I just I, I love her scenes in the movie especially when they use the psycho sound effect whenever she comes in even after she comes in whenever the camera turns to her like I think that's like one of the best parts of the movie Sawyer is that human aspect especially with, with her character
0: we're now going to be jumping over to our interview with Craig Good, who previously talked to us about his work on Monsters, Inc. And now we'll be talking to us about his work on Finding Nemo and sharing some fun stories behind the making of the film. So now we want to jump over to Nemo. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: you mentioned um, with Bug's Life that water was like starting to become thin.
8: Like
0: yeah.
1: it was like we want to have a couple droplets at the end of the movie. Did the introduction of water in CG... Present
9: challenges in layout while working on Nemo. Um, the water was not a challenge for layout because we're just putting things where they are. The water was was a big challenge for lighting and uh, and effects. Uh, you know they 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 worked up what we called murk, which is our underwater version of sfumato, because uh, in the underwater things go dark and low contrast very quickly as you as you move away from the camera and the light source and uh, lighting also had to work a lot on caustics <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of caustic lighting effects there but uh, not having to place characters on a floor actually makes it kind of easier on layout yeah, that
0: was our next question actually that is our yeah, next that's question. Uh, yeah yeah. it was easier. Oh, okay, that was surprising. We assumed it was harder.
9: Well, there are plenty of things that were hard about the movie, but that particular thing, <laughs> not not so much.
8: Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, awesome. So obviously, you have some some love, I would say, with Pete Doctor. <laughs>
9: a little. He's not. He's not the only one. I'm. I'm also a, a huge Lee Unkrich fan, and and Andrew Stanton.
2: Um, that was, the, that was our, our, our question. Is in with Finding Nemo? How is it? How is it? And any different, or what could you compare and contrast between the two, or just what say something about Andrew and what it was like working under him?
9: So I have, I have just tons of respect for Andrew, and I, I hope at this point he won't mind me, telling this story a little bit. There was, so you have to understand that directing a movie of this scale for this many years is just a Herculean task. Uh, Andrew calculated, I think this was a calculation he made during Wally that every day for years in a row he was making an average of one creative decision every three minutes, something like that, just all day long, right? Uh, And this can make people, you know, that kind of pressure can make people a little testy and, you know, a little hard to get along with. And, you know, we've even going back to the short films. We we used to just bark and growl at each other when the pressure got really high. We were all friends, so we knew it was okay at the end. But things could get really. Uh, and some of the crew had some friction with with Andrew uh, during during Nemo. We got we got the movie made, and it turned out great and Andrew put in just <laughs> incredible amounts of work on that film. But then like a real pro, Andrew took all the feedback he got on Nemo and Wally was a completely different experience and it was so great and I told him Andrew of all the rewrites you've ever done, my favorite is the rewrite you did on yourself. It's just just great. So, I have tons of respect for andrew he's a really funny guy um a super prankster <laughs> you know he he's the guy who you know when i'm really in i was really intent on something one day you know on a monitor i'm inspecting frames or something and he just walks in with this thing and says here put this in your mouth and i just you know, and it was one of those super sour balls <laughs> oh and and i and that's when i realized i was had and i wasn't going to give him the satisfaction but i kind of made
1: well, it it's funny, even just from watching we've seen his, his talk a couple of times. Oh, you right have. after John right after John Carter, you can just tell from a one goat. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Even from a PR oh. perspective. Um, like he's a very personable guy who seems like a joy to work with, and especially in this directing role, which he took on for the first time in Nemo. Yeah.
2: It seems An- awesome that he got that feedback and, and, yeah. and, yes. and really amplified it in his yeah, head yeah, head yeah, yeah. It's awesome.
9: Um he, he told me one day he said, "I figured out the directing job. It's to give all the credit and take all the blame." <laughs>
8: there you go.
9: <laughs> so that's, that's my job here. Yeah, it's, a, it's absolute pleasure to work with him. Um, and he and I got to work together on some TV commercials, so so you know, I had one-on-one time with him in the old days, and, and we got along like a house of fire. He's, he's just a lot of fun, really smart guy. He's got opinions. But that's a that's a feature when you got to be a director because you have you got to make decisions, real decisions, every three minutes for about four years. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I miss working with Andrew quite a bit too. He was, he was a lot of fun.
6: You wanna ask him? So yeah, like with Monster Vink, I, I asked about like any sequences from that that were like either difficult to work with or favorite or favorite or, or favorite. Yeah, yeah like. My favorite scene is like the scene with Bruce when he's chasing them, when he smells like the blood on Dorian and then he, all the sharks are like chasing um, Marlon. Right. Was that seem like hard to do or was that pretty easy?
9: Well, again, I was doing just camera polish by that point. So I don't know how hard it was on the on everybody in layout. Uh, I'm sure there were, th- there are always challenges. Here's the thing that happens with every feature film. There's some sequences that just seem to kind of sail through. You know, they nail it in the boards, you nail it in layout, it go, swims right through animation, and yeah, that one just works. And then there'll be one sequence that for whatever reason just becomes like trying to dig yourself out of hell <laughs> to make it work. Uh, so I'm sure that layout had some of those. I had a shot on the camera stuff the, the, when the submarine slides across frame and suddenly stops doing the camera operation to that and making it smooth i probably spent two weeks on that it it was yeah it was trying to get it to because when things are moving fast and then they suddenly stop or vice versa that's the hardest thing to animate or to operate to and uh i was using I ended up using mixed knot types in my curves and just all kinds of crazy stuff to make it always be advancing across the frame and then suddenly stop and not have it seem to bounce. Bad, you know, get, get all janky.
0: Yeah, so do you have a favorite scene from Nemo? Like one that you like... It could be like a Monsters, Inc. one or it could just be like, you know, a scene... Like a scene um, that you enjoy.
9: Yeah, I don't... Do I have a favorite scene? I like the uh, the news travels montage. I use that in my class all the time. That's where Andrew looked really embarrassed in dailies, film dailies. One day, he said, "I'm going to have to change my name to M. Knight Stanton," because he did so many voices. Right? He's Andrew is the voice of the seagulls. Mine, that's Andrew. Uh, he's he's Crush. Uh, he's the crabs. Aww! That, that little guy. Yeah, and he's the lobster, because Andrew's from Massachusetts. It's like, wicked doc down there. That's, that's Andrew. And so he was, he was feeling kind of sensitive about it during that sequence. Um, but I think it's, it's just a lovely little way to connect the two stories, because, you know, we've been with Marlon, and now we got to catch up with what's going on with Nemo, and just having that news travel, um, I also got to do a fun thing. I, I call it my magic dissolve, uh, something I worked out on, A Bug's Life. But there's that dissolve from night to day around the lighthouse. And I, to make the camera move work, I actually animated the camera move as one long shot and then broke it up into two shots that line up, you know, so that frame 400 was frame 400 in each shot, if that makes sense. And then they could render one shot in daylight and one shot at night, and then it's just a cross-dissolve, and everything lines up perfectly. Wow. So they didn't have to do any fancy lighting tricks to make that dissolve happen. It's just a simple, straight-up dissolve. We did that for um, In A Bug's Life. When Francis is is wounded, Uh, there's a camera move and a dissolve that takes us into the hospital bed. We just had the animator animate one long shot of him doing all his animation for both shots and then, uh, did that same dissolve trick.
1: That's a really cool trick. Yeah. Yeah,
0: It's
7: awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was stalking letterbox last night to read people's reviews of Nemo. Uh, they were all like super, I think that was one of the most positive like review sections I've ever seen. It's a lot of like four out of fives, four and a half and just fives. I don't think I saw anything lower than that, but, uh, one of the best ones I saw is I forgot how much this movie terrified me as a kid. Really? Oh, yeah, because there's a lot of like dark stuff. And the, the thing that always scared me, and I'm wondering if anybody else has memories of this, is the angler fish. That terrified me when they're following like the light and it leads up to the th- the big monstrous fish revealing itself that just wants to eat them. That always terrified me when I was little. For like, me, it
5: was the barracuda.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. the beginning. The beginning of the, and it's such a powerful part of the film. I think what what
1: a way to open that. I saw a lot of connections. I think between that and uh, the beginning of Up. Yeah. Like a lot of stuff happens in a little amount of time. Not a lot of words to it, but it sets off exposition right
0: away. You know exactly what's gonna what's gonna what's gonna happen. From
8: I think the, from the
0: i I'm, I think I remember reading somewhere that executives were really afraid by beginning the movie that way, like with you know all these ch- all the kids being killed and then the wife being killed. And and uh, for the longest time too, I think out of artistic purpose, they had it as flashbacks that revealed itself throughout the movie until you got to the end, and it just was not working. And so they all they put they put it all together and put it at the beginning of the movie.
3: This this movie was not afraid to get dark uh, at all. Like you could see that um, when you had the World War II uh, mines throughout there that just blew up um, all over the place, or even just the the idea of, uh, or the idea, at the, especially at the end of it, when you had, like, all those um, tuna fish being being pulled up to actually be sold off um, into the marketplace, and, like, having Dory get trapped in all of that, like, all these different elements, it's like, they're dark, but they're grounded within the world of Nemo, and sure, there are elements of it that enhance it, but it doesn't exactly overdo that darkness, if that makes sense. It doesn't get into that area of edgy, if that makes sense.
10: I think the most effective horror scene is probably the angler scene as you guys are talking about. I love the the way they play with the light of the angler fish. And I think just in general, the movie is extremely like we always talk about how Pixar movies are really creative with how they take the um you know they take some inanimate object or they take you know they apply like emotions to like you know bugs or something, and then they use that to like create like this world, you know, like the same thing with the uh, the fish. like, oh, the coral is like their home. they got like a little bed in there, like the soft part or like, oh, the whale's mouth is used for transportation and the hole is like an exit scene. like that's like it's all that full cool stuff. And the anglerfish especially is like, you know, go, they go d- deep enough in the ocean that's dark and they can't see anything. And then the one fish that's trying to eat them has the light that, you know, can see around. I think that's just really effective. The opening, I feel like it's, it's, a, it's I don't know if I felt it was like horror as much. As it was just kind of like really sad and depressing. Um, but I think it's, I think it's effective. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Because like, this is the first time I've seen the movie. And I think I knew that it opened with, uh, I knew, I knew his wife was dead. I knew, you know, Nemo was like his only kid stuff. Like I knew that going in um but i was like i was like really shocked like oh yeah they're about to kill like 400 kids but um it's done very tastefully and done very effectively um uh in the opening
0: i remember it used to be a thing where it was like i'd go to my little uh uh my my little uh cousin's house and he uh they whenever they showed nemo they would always skip the beginning of the movie and just and just because because it's like because it's terrifying i think that this movie set the emotional uh the the emotional expectations of what people expect from a Pixar movie because I think up to this point Monsters Inc had sad stuff in it and Toy Story 2 did but I think this was definitely the most emotional Pixar movie they've done to this point I think what I what we should do now is just a quick like going across uh everyone just says their like favorite scenes can be a funny scene it can be an emotional scene it can be anything I guess we'll start with yeah you.
1: my favorite has to be the the news, news what's called the internal I guess the news travels a montage of everyone finding out I never was probably everyone's favorite scene everyone finding out about Marlon's story and how he's getting to Sydney and how the word travels eventually to Nemo it's done beautifully as a montage the, the music is fantastic like, it's such a beautiful part of the movie I think everyone
6: recognizes it as, as such a such a big part of it how about you Cal? Oh, without a doubt, it's the Bruce scene. Like, I was so pumped to see Bruce. He's literally, like, my favorite. Like, I think in, like, all of cinema, next to, like, the character from Star Wars, Bruce is my favorite character. Like, I don't know why, but that guy, I connect with him. And that, I, it's the same thing Sawyer brought up, I think. Like, I never realized that, like, it was an AA scene when I was younger. And it was like that's basically what they're like referencing. And I thought like his like friends were pretty funny too, how they were trying to hold him back. And I also liked um the sea turtle scene too. Crush was cool. How about you, Brandon? My favorite scene, I don't think
0: it's part of the news travel scene. I think it's after it is when uh, Nigel the Seagull. I know I just saw Sora. Sora was gonna say the same thing, is when Nigel the Seagull is telling Nemo all the things his dad has done to get there. And Nemo's like, at first surprised, you know, that his dad, who's always been afraid of these things, has taken on all this. And it just, you just see how proud he is. And then the music drowns out even the words that, you know, Nemo's hearing, it just shows the real emotion in that scene. And I think that, I think that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie.
2: Um, For me, my favorite um kind of part of the movie was when we actually see that, um, Marlin actually has, gets to have all those answers that they had at the beginning of the conversation of how old are sea turtles? Um, I wonder if what would happen if we ever met a shark, there was all that like foreshadowing. And it was so cool that by the end of the movie, Marlin not only, you know, has friends that are sharks and like knows the age of sea turtles, but he was like able to retain that information while he's even looking for his son, because, he you know, his son would enjoy that. I thought that was really beautiful and cute.
3: I would say my favorite scene out of all of Nemo is the jellyfish scene. Um, Just because of the fact that it, it is like one of like the, I guess not the first times, but like the, one of the defining moments in Marlin as he starts to like, understand, starts to change for the better and how he's basically being forced to do something he would never in a million years think of doing. Like he would take a detour completely around it if it was possible for him to like stay out of danger. And yet in this scene, he's being forced to do the very thing he tries to avoid and goes and tackles danger head on to go back and save Dory, getting stung in the process. And it's just that thing. It's like he was probably thinking the whole time. It's like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? This does not make any sense. This is not who I am. But and yet in that scene, it helps transition him into the person that in Basil, the person that gets talked about all throughout the ocean that Basil said. And creates this reputation that he never would have had if that scene had not happened.
7: So if I, if I were to pick my favorite scene from it, I don't know why this scene hit me harder on uh, the most recent watch of the movie. It was that last scene where um, Dory gets stuck in that net and all of those fish are stuck in the net and they're swimming around and they didn't know what to do. And you have to have uh, Nemo has to go in and Merlin has to let him go into the net to help. And yeah, I don't know how to really explain it. I think it just hit a certain part of me. I was like, "This, this is really well done," and it shows that Merlin's grown as a person to allow uh, his son to go into literally near death and trust yeah. him with that kind of take uh, that responsibility. Risk. Yeah,
2: oh, yeah. Righteous, righteous, righteous,
5: crush man. Yeah, I guess I'll go now. Um, uh my favorite scene probably the scene where they uh where Nemo finally gets out um just because I like when they beat up Darla and I love Willem Dafoe in this movie um I mean it could be any scene with Willem Dafoe because I just think he's so great in this movie and it's such an awesome casting choice but I think that seems like the best one because um I remember as a kid I loved it so much because I hated I despised Darla so for me it's, it's the scene where Willem Dafoe attacks her and then Nemo escapes and the whole reveal that he's faking it and stuff, uh, faking being dead, is uh, I think is so great.
10: I really like the scene where Nemo um, gets captured. Just, um, I think it's such such an awesome, like, just the setup, because we already know that that drop-off is, like, this very intimidating thing and it's portrayed very intimidatingly in the movie. And then you see the boat away and you use an audience to know that we, like, the boat's bad news, you know. Um, but then just like, you know, it's very, I mean, it's a sad scene, but it's, it's very effective in like getting the plot going and just kind of, you know, it's very suspenseful when Marlon has to chase the boat and you know, he's not going to catch up to it. And I just think it's really well done. Um, and I love Nemo's kind of like quick churn from being, you know, hating his dad and being all rebellious to like, you know, like I need help, help, you know, um, when he gets captured.
0: Aside from Toy Story, this has the best secondary cast of characters, I think, in Pixar history. Aside from Toy Story. Because every character, I, I see Sawyer and Tom disagreeing. Guys, I'm mute. Say say what you're going to say. Say what you're going to say.
7: <laughs>
2: Talking about it. No, we are just, we thought that we brought, like, kind of thought that was a pretty good point. Um,
7: Willem Defoe sells me. On yeah. That opinion, we were, just him being there.
2: we were kind of like contemplating that, like, huh, is, is it? And like, to That's Bay's right. point, we're like, we can't really even think of one that has a better cast. So. Not I, think, d- I think Inside Out's good. Like, inside Out has inside a good, okay, of yeah. Of the on. ones we've watched. Yeah. yeah. Of, of the ones yeah. we've right watched now, as of now, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: What I've always appreciated about Nemo was the balance of comedy and just deep and authentic emotion. And just like all of the other great Pixar films and great films in general, the older I get, the more and more the film resonates with me on a deeper level. We'll now be swimming over to our interview with the editor of the film... David Salter. So first question, uh, most of these are related to Finding Nemo since we actually just rewatched watched it uh, a couple of nights ago. I, I actually don't think I needed to rewatch it. It's pretty <laughs> ingrained <laughs> in my mind. Uh, but um, when did you start working on Nemo? Uh, because I know you were a lead editor on, uh, one of the lead editors on Toy Story 2. So was it right after Toy Story 2 or what, what was the
4: <laughs> time? Yeah, this, it was, an, it, it, yeah, look, I don't remember the exact, you know, timeline from a you know, from a date perspective. But yeah, it was it was right afterwards. It was um, it w- you know I was on pretty early. I mean, you know, I just rolled. Pretty sure I just rolled off one into the other. I mean, we all needed a quite a bit of a break after Toy Story Two. I mean, that you know you probably heard some some aspects of of that. You know, um, but yeah, uh, I think uh, you know Andrew uh Stanton was you know was prepping his next film and um uh yeah you know what you know being on staff at Pixar um unlike the normal freelance life of of uh, uh most film crew right um um there at least at that time you know it was just kind of finish one film and then well what are you gonna do next and and uh and Andrew had this thing coming up and the film coming up since sounded great and you know we talked, and I I don't really specifically remember, you know, the exact process. But I was on as early as 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 you know one could be. I think it was you know s- script stage um, earlier than probably the earliest of anything I've been on. Yeah.
7: Yeah. So does uh,
1: it um, does the director say, "Hey, I want these types of editors," and then people apply within Pixar? How does it? How does well, it where you decide on a project?
4: This was early days, you know, I mean, when I started there, you know, uh, my, my good friend from film school, from USC film school, Lee Uncridge, uh, who, who had gone up to Pixar, um, you know, for midway through voice story, the first one. Um, and he would, you know, he would tell me tales of, of, of how cool it was at Pixar and all that stuff and show me stuff. And so, then I joined him. He asked me to join him as a, a second editor on um, on a Bug's Life. You know, uh, so I was. I think I was almost exactly employee number two hundred, right? So oh there weren't that many, but you know, it was really from an editorial perspective. There had been a few other editors that had kind of passed through earlier, um, but it was really Lee and me, and then and then uh, you know the rest of the editorial department, which, you know, which was, we had a number of assistants and, 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 and PAs and stuff like that it was a pretty close knit group. So it was kind of, I don't know if it was assumed that we would just roll on to the, to, to, you know, to the other f- pictures, but, um, you know, it was, um, you know, everybody knew everybody else and I, I don't recall there ever being a, a, a big, um, question about that although i you know i I, i'm not privy to whatever discussions were had you know behind the scenes right but i mean i just you know we by that point um you know i knew andrew very well we knew i knew all the people involved we all knew each other pretty well place is starting getting bigger but um i don't remember there being too, too much of um too much of a discussion about i just met with andrew and uh and and you know we we you know I mean, we'd like each other and work together well. He's he's also from you know the Boston area. He's from Rockport.
0: Yeah, that's right. We we talked to uh, Craig Good recently.
4: Yeah, real uh, old timers.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little actually a little while ago, I think a month ago. And he was saying the thing about being an editor at Pixar is you're on the project from beginning to end. Uh, I guess my question would be like, what were the biggest changes since editor and editing and story seem to be so closely knit, those two departments. Oh. What are some of the biggest changes you saw happen to Nemo throughout its production? And what were some challenges? I've heard about the flashback sequence and how that ended up becoming the opening. Could you talk a little bit about that?
4: Well, yeah, it was, it was, um, that was probably the biggest change, right? I mean, but like all all the Pixar films, at least the ones I I was on, I assume it's probably continued this way. um, There was a lot, you know, a lot of development occurs or occurred Um, during that whole storyboarding, you know, stage, you know, the the, the script was seen and it's pretty much true for any, any animated film or at least any computer animated film. I should draw a distinction there um, because that's where my experience is uh, as far as animation goes for the most part. But um, you know, the script is, is, is kind of just a kicking off point, you know, like, like kind of like a blueprint, but not a blueprint that, you know, that's, not an exact blueprint, right? And it's expected that um that it gets plused in the in the words of the late uh Joe rampt that it that it gets plused at every stage, right? So at least the picks are more so than anywhere else. This is true everywhere everywhere I've been, but but at picks are more so. Um the the story artists were were then expected to like, you know, take the ball and run with it, right? Come up with if they didn't come up with 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 ways of improving things and you know new ideas and things, then then they weren't really pulling their weight, right? But everybody pulled their weight, um, and and the same with editorial. You know, with a uh, at, at least the lead editor was you know pretty much expected or welcome at the at the main story meetings and things like that. And and you know it was you know the editors was you know I was given a chance to weigh in, right, and and suggest things. And then of course in in, in the editing process, you know play around with things too and um and of course it was the same the same was true of the uh of the scratch recording sessions you know the scratch dialogue recording sessions right people would ad lib and things like that but the biggest change of course with nemo was was in fact yes it was it was um it was the 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 flashback the film had a flashback structure originally and it had it was that way for quite some time right and and um it was actually part of Andrew's initial concept for the film. It was probably even might even be fair to say that I I, I think the flashback might have even been the main idea he had originally, you know, and that and that um, the idea would be that that you'd open up with a series of I can't remember the number, it might have been ten, might very well have been ten images we opened up with have you is it on is it on the um you have to remind me have you guys seen it is is, is this stuff on the um
0: it is on uh the blu-ray and the bonus features and like disney plus uh we it's right. been a while since we went back and looked at it but
4: well, yeah, I, just, I, think, it, it, I
0: think it's all out there yeah
4: okay so you know it opened with it opened with a series of like certain images that were meant to be kind of cryptic and and uh you know just you know kind of meant to be nemo's kind of fragmented memories of you know from when he was an egg, you know, like just like you you know you have fragmented memories of your own childhood, right and 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 it would you know, kind of open and each one faded up and out with like a heartbeat or breath, it was heartbeat, you know, fade from black and out. And, you know, a very elegant way of opening the film and and um and then and then, you know, throughout the film, there'd be there'd be various times when a flashback would occur, or be triggered or something, and you get a little bit more of a sense what was go- what it was. And then at the very end, at the very end, um, I think you would finally realize that the images that he thought were his mother were actually the barracuda that, that killed, you know, that, that killed his mother and, and ate all the eggs and it was, it was you know, big revelation. But the thing is, the folks at Disney who, um, you know, would we would screen it for and they would they would uh, um, they would weigh in, right? Particularly, you know, Tom Schumacher and Peter Schneider who were running things at the time. Um, you know, they, they kept pushing for simplifying and saying that you know that wasn't wasn't as entertaining as we thought it was let's say you know and and so and then it was very Andrew was particularly reluctant to to lose that idea and I understand why because that was his big idea I think you know there are a few things that 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 that, and I'm you know speaking I can't really speak for him but you know from based on our conversations based on my memory that um that you know when he had you know he got the idea for the film it was you know i guess the biggest concept was you know he had his own son at the time i mean his own son was young at the time and he realized he was being overprotective so he wanted to explore that but but then when he began to conceive it i think it was this flashback thing it was the, the main thing right and in hindsight so it took a while took a while to to you know for him to come around he, it was it was a tough one for him and, and i have to understand i was you know i was on the fence but um as well, cause I, I got it. But when when we, we kind of just simplified it, you know, in the end, pulled it out and restructured and told a more straightforward story. And, and it was, you know, it was the way to go for sure. And then I realized something that, you know, probably should have been more obvious from film school days, which was that um, that actually was a common, stru- it is a common structure for young filmmakers in particular when you're starting out, right? A film school happened a lot, right? Where a lot, of, a lot of fellow students would try to inject uh, an unearned uh, kind of uh, interest in the material, right? Make, make it more mysterious than, than, than the subject deserved by, um, by just withholding information, right? Until the end, like showing you like flashbacks and then at the end showing you what it was for. And, and I realized in hindsight, you know, that's pretty annoying to watch from you know right It's pretty annoying and, and, and I, think that, I, I think that um and I think yeah you know, we hadn't been thinking of it that way but but then I, I realized well, you know why didn't I realize this that there's a lesson I should have learned back at film school um yeah yeah I don't think you know that there's some stories that where that works right but it has to be really integral to the story and and this wasn't a mystery you know and just and just um you know um you know, trying to create a, a mystery artificially is not just, just annoying. It seems cool to the filmmakers; it annoys the audience. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah,
4: you're that's a good yeah. point.
1: Yeah, we. So see, you, you mentioned that was kind of a, a challenge figuring out. Hey, how are we going to make this flashback scene work? Are there any favorite stories, memories, uh, some successes you enjoyed editing that you the scene in mind that you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the best best part of the movie that I love. Like, well,
4: yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know if there's. A specific scene that that sticks out, you know, they usually aren't. I mean, there's some scenes that are more fun than others, but most films, you know, I mean, if it's if it's a coherent film, you know, there's a, there's a tone throughout. Um, obviously, climaxes are, are are fun, right, and intense, you know, and, and the climax in *Nemo* is particularly intense and satisfying. I think, and really, really well done. Um, you know, and I think it all comes together: picture and sound, and music is is you know. Uh, and everything really worked together well, right? But, um, but I can say this, I, you know, so, so in terms of like creative successes or satisfaction f- uh, for all of us, but particularly from the editorial perspective, and when I speak of, 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 of the editing of the film, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a whole team, right? So not just me, but, you know, um, but, but uh, our whole crew. Um, so I would say that um, one fun thing was, or a couple of fun things. we we're, we're crafting the performances for Dory and Marlin, although he didn't have a name for almost the entire production. I forget. I think we just called him Dad or something. The dad. <laughs> uh because he's not referenced, you know, in the end, in the end, we did settle on a long name for him, right? And he got recast. Um, you know, I don't know if, if, if you know that. Um and we start out with um it was originally William Macy and um and, um, and in fact, I believe you know if you look at him, you know he resembles William Macy, right? But uh, William Macy is uh, is 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 a great actor, a truly great actor. And Pixar needs almost needs a stand-up comedian more, in a way, because as I as I said, it, you know, the greatness of the of of that method of working, um, it it did require. Everybody to bring their A game and everybody to plus the material. And again, you know that Joe Ram's term. It's not grammatically accurate, but um, and, and we miss Joe terribly. You know, Joe. Joe's a great story, story man. Um, and um, who passed away way too early. Um, but but um, and Joe used to say, you know, you get a plus the material, and and everybody did. Everybody who touched it plus it, and and that was expected, right? So so. Um, So most of the main, the leads on, at least the films I did, you know, it was expected that when the actor, you know, recorded the lines that the actor would, would, would add some, some ideas, you know, some kind of, kind of improvise, get into character and, and improvise in a, in a humorous way, in particular humorous way. I mean, comedians, improv people, people with comic backgrounds worked best. Right. And so, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, uh and, and Albert Brooks and you know both have that right and, and and um so then it was just crafting the performances right because um uh and I, I'm pretty sure Andrew had written Dory for Ellen but obviously he couldn't have written marlon for Albert because you know Albert was was a, a late edition and so for Albert for example he would um he would he would in his improv and stuff he would he would repeat an idea, you know, kind of like say something and then say it again and maybe say it a third time. Um and I think he's kind of working it out as he went and as part of his performance. And and I think you can see it even in in in, in his films where, you know, where he's acting, um, you know, it's a very verbal thing, right? And and um crafting his performance involved more just removing the repetitions, you know, so that, you know, cause because um and this is something that that I learned back in film school Nina the great Nina Fosh uh, the late great Nina Fosh was an actress who appeared in all these great films in Hollywood's kind of golden age um she taught acting for directors at film school which is a slightly different you know perspective to come at things and um and her contention was was that repetition most of the time diminishes diminishes the the impact you know so that you you know a lot of you think you say it once say it twice for greater impact you know and uh you know i hate you i hate you you know or something like that and 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 it's the opposite in most cases the opposite it actually makes it seem more minor right or or less funny in some cases so so for albert it was it was it was taking out it was just thinning right and then and for ellen it was similar she's also a very very verbal person but in her case her character was was meant to be right so then it was a question of getting the two to play together because you know most of the time they're not recorded together and when they it's actually better that way when they are recorded together not not those two i mean any, any two it usually you know doesn't work as well as being able to craft it in 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 the editorial which is an opinion most people would not share probably but um so i i think i think you know crafting particularly sticks out of my mind crafting the um the, the descent, you know, into darkness where they, where they, you know, just keep swimming and, 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 uh, and they you know, there's, there's a back and forth between them. That's kind of a great buddy kind of dialogue. And, and that was, um, it was tough. It was, it was a level of, um, fine tuning, you know, syllable by syllable almost, um, to get that working, um, as great as it, as it, as it did, I think. So that would be an example of the jellyfish, uh, forest, was was super fun too because um and there's a lot of challenges right uh, because of the underwater stuff because you don't have a reference point in most cases you don't have a ground plane unless they're right at the bottom you don't have a ground plane unless they're at the bottom or the top right they're just floating in space and it's really hard to tell when you've cut to a different angle if you're not you know it takes a lot of a lot of work to figure out how to how to do that so those those are a couple of things that's that stand stick to mind. Although, if you know if you want to mention any particular sequence, it'd probably bring back more thoughts on that subject.
0: Were there any hesitations? Because I know Nemo, um, when we were watching it, I was reminded of all the times I used all the scenes that used to scare me when I was younger. Were there any hesitations, not from a creative standpoint, but from mm-hmm. like an executive standpoint that yeah, the was- movie was too
4: I know it's funny you should, you should ask that. Yeah, so so obviously, there's um, obviously there's there's the fact that that his mom gets killed, and his mom gets gets killed as do like hundreds, if not thousands, of his siblings right. at the very very opening of the film. Right. So, I mean, it was it was always part of the story, but we were always a, a little concerned, for sure, very aware of of. Of what we thought was the the, the chance that, that that the Disney folks would have a, a negative reaction to that, right? Um, and and you also have to keep in mind that I believe uh, I believe this was in those days. Um, you know, we, it wasn't owned by Disney. Uh, there was a, there was a partnership. You know, there was a deal, and um, I don't remember if they officially had final say. Mm-hmm. Right or not? I, I'm pretty sure that there was something. There was something in the contracts that said like if that directors who, whose previous had previously made a film, you know, that made more of the I certain amount money, they had more of a say or final cut or something. I mean, I'm you I, know, I, you know, don't quote me on that in a sense, but um, I can't be sure. But uh, but it's my recollection. Um, but they were always polite about it. They never. They never uh, even even if they had the official contractual right which they may have had um to insist on something um i wasn't aware of them ever doing more than suggesting right they were very you know wise about leaving it up to the filmmakers as was steve jobs as well you know um right no nobody ever uh, that i was aware of ever did more than than make strong suggestions right mm-hmm. um but um but so we went down there i remember there was one screening maybe it was you know uh, I don't remember if it was the first time we showed the first reel or the first act or the whole thing. I don't remember, but, um, we were quite concerned and they didn't say anything. They, 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 it was all positive. Tom, Tom, you know, showed it to Tom Schumacher, Peter Schneider, probably some other people, Roy Disney, I think a bunch of other people. And, um, they were very positive. And then I think, um, just to be safe, someone from Pixar, it might've been John Lasseter, might it might've been Andrew, but, um, I don't think so. Actually then just brought it up, right. And said, are you guys worried about this, about the fact that, you know, we're killing the mom and, and, and the, the reaction was something along the lines of, well, we did it in Bambi. So, you know, <laughs> like, and that worked out. Okay. So it was a big relief. Right. And it was unexpected. We thought they would be the ones uh, to to have an issue. And in fact, it was the issue, you know, we were more worried than they were. And um, yeah, so kind of, kind of surprised, but yeah, no, no, uh no issue at all.
0: you mentioned uh, Steve Jobs having strong suggestions. Did he suggest anything that uh, changed the course of Nemo?
4: Or- not that I not that I recall no i I mean um uh you know a bug's life he did have a suggestion that a uh, pretty big suggestion that made its way in, into the film ultimately. but I don't recall on on anything on Nemo um you know we we showed it to him regularly he was in he was in my room my cutting room uh you know regularly for for you know reviews and playbacks um i do very clearly remember him you know being the one to make the decisions on the on the marketing you know the logo you know the one sheet the posters i mean i very very clearly you know i remember them bringing bringing in if think keep to my room you know once or twice um a whole bunch of you know we had pause someone brought in Whole bunch of posters and mocked up posters with different logos and things, and this one, this one, this one. So he was really, really on top of that, and, and you know, and, and and for sure, making the making the final calls on on things like that, right? Um, marketing type of stuff, uh, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, no, I don't recall anything like that. He certainly, he certainly by that point. He had certainly earned the respect of everybody, creative respect. I should say. obviously people had respect for him. They all had respect for him in, you know, before that, but um, but there was some. When I first started, there was in fact still some nervousness that he was going to eventually start trying to dictate, you know, creative make creative calls. Right? Uh, I guess I apparently hadn't done that on, on on Toy Story, you know, which I wasn't around for. Um, and then on a Bug's Life, there was nervousness about that, and there's some fun stories there, but. Um, but, but, by the time of Nemo, folks had kind of you know felt were were happy you know they were fine, they were happy to have him in the cutting room and and you know, nobody was I don't recall anybody being worried about about you know Steve Mussel, you know forcing folks to do things against their creative instincts, but he certainly he certainly would toss out ideas and 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 you know, you know. People would ask hey, what do you think but most of, you know he'd say hey, what about this? what about that? And I'm sure sh- you know there very well may have been some some um, some things in there that, that he suggested but nothing nothing really comes to mind. and I, I do remember he, you know he would always like his modus operandi with us at least I don't know if he did it you know and Apple would be uh, probably more Pixar because you know he he, he wasn't the filmmaking guy. Would be because um, he would almost always say, "Now you're the filmmakers. You're the you know you know it. You know to me or to you know obviously to Andrew John, but also to me and, and to the other you know you guys know if you you know you know so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about." That he would you know that would be kind of his his mode.
0: Yeah, I don't mean to tangent off Nemo for a while, but what was the suggestion that he gave that changed the course of Bugs' life?
4: Well, I'll tell you what they would. I might be the only one who tells you that would tell you that tell you that, um, that it actually that it actually made it in the film because well two two things come to mind, one early on, um, not early on but some point in somewhere in the midpoint when, when when the film was creatively stuck as they all got right and I'm, I'm kind of guessing they, they still get that way but um, but you know they're they're creatively painful films to make, because you've taking many, many years, you're, you're, you're working, working toward a very high level, like holding yourself to very high standards, right? We all hold ourselves to extremely high standards. And, um, and you're trying to make it great, and anything less than great, you know, really, like the best it could be isn't good enough. And, and getting a story to be great, as opposed to, you know, good, and certainly, you know, or, or, or fair, uh is super tough right really tough and um and you know so so all these films hit a wall where it seemed like you know oh my god it's not working we put all this effort we've been working on it for at least a year what are we going to do right i mean toys the first toy story you know even more so you know I, you've heard the same stories that i had i have that they shut down and all these things, right? They had a retool. It looked like it wasn't going to get made, but it happened to all of them except we didn't necessarily completely shut down, right? So, uh, *A Bug's Life* got to a point where it was just like not working for a bunch of reasons. We and we had to have you know some big meetings at, at uh, Disney with the, you know Tom and Peter again, Tom Schumacher, Peter Schneider, uh, who were running the animation studio, and um, and and so Steve joined us for one of them. And there was real nervousness because the, the fear was like, oh God, this is not from me, but you know, from, yeah. from the you know, the heads of Pixar and Disney creative heads that, that this was gonna be the time when that, that everybody had feared when when he started like kind of imposing you know not good ideas on the show, right? Because he hadn't up to that point. And and at the meeting, he just he had one idea that he that he tossed out, which was um um and I have to explain that at that point, if I'm remembering correctly, um, Flick, the main character, who who I, I think he might have even been called Red at that point because he was a he was a red ant for a while. Oh. Um, so I don't remember if it was Flick or Red. But um, so he was he was actually part of the circus troupe. He wow. wasn't part of the he wasn't part of the um, he wasn't part of the colony. It might be hard to fathom, but uh, and I don't, this may or may not have happened at that time. That was the big change was that he got moved from the circus troupe being like their manager kind, of to of this of this kind of like crappy, unsuccessful, you know, lame circus troupe to, um, to you know, who, who got them a booking, a booking that he thought was this great, you know, this great deed, but it turned out that, that there was this misunderstanding. And, yeah. you know, so it, he got moved from there to, you know, it was more of a Seven Samurai story. Um, he got moved, for Magnificent Seven, right? Because uh, it's the same thing. But but he got moved to um, to be you know kind of an outcast from the from the the, the main group, you know the main the main um, your colony, right? So so at one point Steve said something to the effect of, well, well, you know, what if you know? It seems to me that Flick is 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 kind of this this unappreciated genius that 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 um you know where where you know he looks like a misfit and everything his ideas are ridiculous and everything but actually he was right and 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 and, and they should have listened to him from the beginning when they do listen to him you know everything works out great and (laughs) remember at the time um you know tom and peter and john everybody kind of the general feeling was huh i wonder if he's you know projecting right because at that point at that point steve had 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 gone steve had, had had recently you know short it was it was after it was sometime within the first year i was there that steve actually went back to apple right um initially as interim ceo but but at the time that i started at pixar you know he was like at next i mean you know pixar was the thing that looked like he might be going somewhere and 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 had, you know apple had kind of cast him out right but his yeah. second act this triumphant return hadn't occurred yet, and I think I think well, somebody even you know said something to the effect of, "Hmm, I wonder if that you know rem- does that remind us of anybody?" Um, <laughs> and then after a lot more work, like months and months a year or years, something um, in the end that that is what happened with Flick, right? Not as a direct no, not as a direct result because of, of, of what Steve said because. We it took a long time to get to that point, right? And uh, and and um, th- it wasn't done directly as a result. Steve, if what Steve said stuck in anyone's mind, I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't making those calls, and uh, but I remembered it. And at the end, I said something to 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 somebody, to John or to Andrew or somebody. I said, "Huh, it's funny, isn't it funny? It's a kind of ironic that you know we all kind of. The suggestion was a little bit more about himself than about the film. Yeah, but in the end. It's, it's you know, Flick would be realistic. You know, you'd say Flick was right, and he was right because that, that is what we did. And and the response I got was, I don't, I don't, I don't see the connection. You know, I don't, I don't remember him saying that or something to that effect. And I, well, I do remember I was there. Okay, so I swear it is true. Uh, I'm I maybe the only one that made that connection uh, by the end of the film, but um, everyone else seemed to have forgotten it. But yeah, so that's that's an example. I, you know, I can't say it was his suggestion, but there was one more where. Um, it was it was my suggestion minor thing but Steve backed me up and i think i think that's why it made it in there which was at the end of a bug's life the very last scene maybe the last shot um you know where they're saying goodbye they're waving goodbye to the bugs that are flying away right so um and you know flick and Ada are are a couple now right and they're, they're like holding hands and waving um so the final thing the final gag the final shot was going to be and was in, in story real form it was um he, flick said something like i forget what it was he said something like we'll we'll, we'll come to visit you or come back Any, i forget what he said he said something like i'll come to, you know and then ada said something like under her breath like no you won't and then he, you know kind of looks at her and, and and you know it's like oh well, she wears the pants in that family was the general feeling yeah. right and um and it's like, ha-ha, you know, ah, the old ball and chain, you know, kind
8: of,
4: yeah. <laughs> like, like, from the 50s. And I said, and everyone's laughing, and I, and I said, um, and the funny thing is, like, I was not married at the time, um, and, and a lot of the other folks were, right? And, and I said, um, you know, are we sure that's a good way to, good note to go on? To me, that's a little depressing, not to mention a little sexist um and, and very old-fashioned it's kind of like a 1950s 1960s gag right view of marriage I said like um you know that's kind of depressing to me like we're just that's triumphant ending and now we're leaving with the feeling that oh my god he's trapped in this horrible <laughs> horrible marriage for the rest of his life with this like horrible overbearing spouse you know like um <laughs> gonna tell him what to do for the rest of his life and and they some you know one of the you know what creative principles said to me well, you don't know you're not married you don't know how it is that's the way it is people will understand that they'll get that ha 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 like well what can i say to that you know i wasn't married it just seemed depressing to me and and old-fashioned and Texas. and um and steve said i think david has a point oh
7: uh-huh.
4: i think right and then they said, uh, uh, you know, and, and Steve was married. So they were willing to listen to him at that point. And uh, so that came out. And I think I stand by that one. That was um, that was the right call to pull that out.
0: Yeah. I, From an audience perspective, I think that was a yeah. good choice. It was a good call on your
8: part. <laughs>
4: yeah. And it also makes the film, it would be much more cringe, cringe-worthy now. I mean, I felt it was in those days, it, it, even then it it, it was. You know, something. You know, it was already the, the time for that kind of gag had passed, but um, but now it would, it would it would have aged extremely poorly. Are, uh,
7: are you want no,
0: no, to? No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, are there moments in any of the Pixar films you worked on where you're kind of like, by today's standards, when you rewatch it, you're like, that joke doesn't really work anymore, or
4: is well, that would have like- one. Honestly, I, I don't rewatch them. You know, um, and and it's probably true for most people that. Um, you know, all films, right? Like, you, you know, you, you work, especially on these films, you know, you work for three, three, four years, I think Nemo most close to four. Um, you know, you, you've basically seen it so many times, more than anyone in the world, at least for, at that point, and um, it's not really like, it's, it, you know, you're proud of it, and it, and, it, and, it, and and it when you do sit down, you know, I'm always, whenever I do sit down to watch something, and it's it's because I have kids who are the right age to, you know, to show them these things. Right. Um, when you sit down to watch them, um, you think ah, you know, like this is this is good, you know, this is fun. This is, I, I enjoy. I'm enjoying this, but it's not the kind of thing you you know that you you feel the need, you know, that you, you seek out for entertainment. You know, to watch your own work, right? Yeah. But um, it, and it, I'm trying to think. You know, obviously there are things that that have aged poorly from a technical standpoint, not poorly, but you know, from a technical standpoint, things that kind of amazing, especially with computer imagery where you know, like you look at it and you just think, um, oh my God, it's photorealistic, like this is just, what's the difference between this and a photo? And right. then you, a few years later you're like, how did I ever think that? It's clearly artificial. you just, you are you know, and I'm still trying to figure that one out because for years when, when you know, Pixar, there's this image, like this early image that they created way back when that I remember seeing at the Boston Computer Museum when it first opened of, um, they actually had a computer graphic image with the computer graphic section, even when they first opened that museum. And it's this image called a view from Point Reyes, I think. And and it's this big image, computer generated image that took them forever to make of, of, of you know a particular place in Marin. And I thought, my God, everything looks so realistic, and and it, it like blows my mind. It looks like super pixelated, and uh, so there's that. But um, why does any? Can you think of something?
0: I can't. I'm just asking since you brought it since you brought it up. I yeah, can't no, really no. think of anything. No, no,
4: no, no. Just that. But that would have had that been in there. You know that would have. Yeah. That would have made the you know the, <laughs> sex the sexist ending. For the the would would have been sex unintentionally sexist ending of, of a uh, sexist joyless ending, of <laughs> bugs. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What it. Just
1: remember. You, uh, oh, one other thing, of
4: course, oh. which is that, um, and this became, so you know, Bo Peep, oh, Bo Peep, okay. what you know, they and and clearly they dealt with that later, you know, with the uh, with the later Toy Story films, but yeah. but you know, they, you know, she 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 deserved to be more than a, than a figurine,
8: right?
0: And they
4: realized that, you know,
0: I mean, you skirted it with Nemo. The female lead female character is Dory. It was like super complex and yeah, great character.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Are- yeah, no, no, she, she, she is great. Yeah, sorry.
1: So um, something that I, my question was, is there a difference between editing for live action versus editing for animation? I know that it's, I'd certainly, I'm sure more complex given that, you know, Pixar uses computers for basically everything, and I'm sure it's played a part in it. What is the what is the some difference? Well, everybody
4: in- uses computers for everything now, but but yeah, so, yeah. So that, oh, well, that you're right. When I started there, that wasn't the case. However, um, that that that's kind of the that's kind of the question, right? That's that's a good question, and that's that's kind of the key. And that's someday I'll, I'll, I'll write an article or a book on my particular take on it. Um, and and uh, which is which is that um, a I think editing is editing, filmmaking is filmmaking. You know, you're watching, you're sequencing picture and sound, um, to, you know, to tell a story that there's live action, whether it's a narrative or, or non fiction, whatever, right? But um um but I do have some, you know, I do I, the way I view it, and I think I my view is a little unique and, and skewed, right? Um most of us, at least when I started Pixar, you know, we came from just a, a live action editing background. When I went to USC film school for grad school, um it was, you know, it was all live action. Uh and there was one animation class, which I took. I think we all had to take it. I mean, I don't know that I would have taken I was I don't know that I would have taken it if if it wasn't a requirement, but I enjoyed it, and I've always enjoyed watching animation. But I had had no, uh, just like Lee, and, and, and many of the other editors that uh, you know that, that we brought up. I had no um, particular intention to go into working on a, an animated films, um, and no particular training there. Um, since then, I believe USC has, has has opened a you know started a, a significant animation program, right? But Here's the way I think of it. Um, it's not so much as animation versus live action, or vis-a-vis live action, right? It's 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 animation. Uh, it's it's computer animation, which is a 3D animation, not 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 stereo imagery, which it can be. Any film can you know be made in or converted to you know 3D with the glasses and that sort of thing. But I'm talking about uh, in a virtual 3D space versus 2D animation, traditional animation, hand-drawn animation, which is is by definition two-dimensional, you know, it's, it's, it's right. a two-dimensional drawing, right? So for me, I, I pictured it as a Venn diagram, you know, of overlapping, like three overlapping circles, right, that represent editing live action, computer animation overlaps in one, in, in, in one way, and then, and then you've got traditional animation that overlaps in another way. And then and, and the middle there's the overlap of all three, right? So they're all about sequencing um, picture and sound telling story and they're all representing, you know, represent representational imagery uh, of, of of something, but um, cause you're watching a two-dimensional image, you know, I'm not counting whether or not it's it's a simulated three-dimensional image. You're watching a two-dimensional image on the screen, uh, you know, so, so you're already translating into two dimensions, but in computer animation has um, basically the same, con- the same principles um, as live action, yeah. it's just virtual.
1: Yeah, I love the sense of collaboration that you get from editing. Yeah, and that's like the big thing I took away from what you've been saying. I think that Pixar is like the perfect place to do that, to have that sense of connection with all these different teams coming together, yeah.
0: like you said, in the center for editorial, which is which is awesome. I have a Nemo specific question. I'm not sure if this is an editing or a story. They seem to kind of blend together. In my there's mind. some
4: overlap. Yeah.
0: yeah um, uh, in Finding Nemo, obviously, yeah, Marlon and Dory searching for Nemo but then you cut to uh, Nemo being in the uh, the dentist tank uh, with all the other fish trying to escape. I've seen a lot of movies where it's like they're two separate journeys happening at the same time and they meet in the middle. And yeah. with a lot of movies, I always find myself preferring one section over the other, but with Nemo, I never feel like, Oh, we're back to this when I'd rather be with the when, with this side of the journey.
8: Okay.
0: And, uh, so was that difficult to make both sides equally entertaining? Uh, yeah,
4: well, I, I'll tell you what, balance both sides. I, I don't know if if I or we thought or talked in terms of equally entertaining because, you know, everything needs to be entertaining, right? So I, I'm not sure we were thinking like, well, this half or that half is right. more or less entertaining. Not, not in those terms because basically if a sequence uh, – and now when I say sequence, now I'm talking about like – a bunch of scenes with that are the same have the same function, you know, the same. Um, um, basically, it's like a, a group of scenes um, that are a unit, right? But I don't think that um, you know if, if a sequence wasn't um, wasn't entertaining enough on its own, then it just had to be plussed, right? Um, and that, so that so we were just try to make everything entertaining, but but you know you raise a good point which is that there needed to be um balance and that's true you're absolutely right a- any film that that has um you know multiple storylines which is you know common situation in films a very clear nemo where you're tracking two very clear very distinct storylines right um nemo's and and uh, uh, you know escape, attempt to, to get back home and you know escape and get back home and and his father's attempt and dory his father and Dory's attempt to to find him and and of course then 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 the additional storyline of of Dory's you know own internal journey um uh you know because of her memory issues and all that you know further explored in the, in the sequel but um so yes balancing those from a from a time perspective you know and and trying to determine when 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 you should be cutting when how to intercut them where when the cuts when you should go from one sequence to another that that's a big one and that Took a lot of time, a lot of work, and, and you know, moving things around. You know, you know, big uh, whiteboard or or corkboard with you know scenes like, okay, we have we been away from this too long. Color, you know, you'd have color coded, um, color coded uh, various spreadsheets and, and 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 index cards that are color coded with with you know the two different timelines, so you could step back and look and say, whoa, you know, we're we're in yellow for a long time. We haven't had 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 blue or something you know and just give you a sense is this this feels like a really unbalanced structure we're moving around then you're like oh crap you know but this has to happen first or the time now the timeline doesn't make sense because we we're, you know we've been away too long or haven't been away long enough so yeah that that that, that was a big part of it
1: yeah. yeah something i think we both pointed out while watching it again is just how emotional this movie is uh right the combination of of shots and the music especially i mean tom newman's score it plays yeah. such an important yeah. part yeah.
4: in all of that great, right yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, it, 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 obviously we were working with, we scored that temp, we tempt that, you know, cause we, we, you know, that goes, that gets put in composed and put in, you know, fairly late in the process, but we, we, you know, since, since Andrew knew he wanted to work with Thomas Newman early in the, you know, right from the beginning, he knew that, that he wanted to work with him. So we, 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 we were able to temp it with mostly his earlier scores. Okay. Um, that you know, which which some composers like, some don't. I remember Jerry Goldsmith back when I was a film school, I saw him give a talk at the music school, and he said he he would, he would, he was offended if if someone had tempt a film, brought him in to spot a film, and and uh, and it had been tempted with his work, which confused me. He said he said it made him feel like they were trying to uh, just ask him to like repeat himself. Fortunately, Thomas Newman did not, and Randy Newman yeah. as well. Neither one of them had that reaction because we did we did temp, try to temp with their their other material. With Randy in particular, it was easy because you know the Toy Story one score right. made perfect sense to temp much of Toy Story two. It just you know, I we knew he was going to compose it, you know, and everything. For for but for it was in the back of my mind like, is he going to you know is, is Thomas Newman going to have the the um, the reaction Jerry Goldsmith had or said he would have and uh, and he didn't fortunately because yeah it was he has that really lush emotional score and, and uh um and and what he you know what he came up with was very different from the temp but but in the ballpark you know yes,
1: i would agree like, i see a lot of similarities between some stuff in shawshank and nemo but nemo is certainly very much his own thing
4: can of- also also um uh, was it Meet Joe Black. We used a bunch. Yep. Meet Joe Black a lot. That was that was in there a lot. Uh, film I still haven't seen, but I know I know the score very well because because uh, we we tempt with it a lot.
0: Yeah, uh, Craig mentioned this briefly when we interviewed him. Wondering if you can expand on it. That Michael Eisner uh, didn't think Nemo was going to be successful. Is were you privy to this, or what was what was this?
4: no more so than i I may have heard that um i know i don't think i was because you know the the i was in a meeting or two with eisner screening or two with eisner for bug's life i recall was he didn't he had no hadn't he had he not left by then had he not left Uh, i don't remember when in 2004
1: Five, I think. Right? So oh, okay. after well, All here. right,
4: so he was still there. I just don't remember him him being much of a factor. He must have been in some of the reviews, but the the main people at Disney that that would weigh in and who, whose opinion was 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 the the important ones that we we you know dealt with it was you know Tom Schumacher and Peter Schneider, right. uh, and and you know and I remember Roy Disney being in in a number of reviews and and, and weighing in. Um, and um, that's... Yeah, I just don't remember. Sorry. I do no, remember... No, no, his... it's,
0: it's okay. We were just wondering. Uh, and of course, the movie came out and was huge, which um, the other Pixar movies were huge, but I think Nemo... Because uh, I was just looking at the numbers last night. Nemo, like, soared past them all.
4: Yeah, um, it was... A bit...
0: Were you... I mean, were you expecting Nemo to become as huge as it did?
4: No, of course not. But, but I also... You know, it's so hard to know when you're working on something. It's so hard to have any sense of 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 um, of what you've made, in a sense. You know, in terms of how how someone would come to a cold. Plus, it's so strange and and unpredictable, at least to me and to most of us. You know, audience reactions. You know, you'll have these. You know, almost every studio film, you know, do these focus groups, and you know, there are various. The focus groups are all run by the same handful of companies, a handful of people. There's only a few people that that are really the experts at this. So you know, film after film, you know, you're seeing these similar demographics, for audiences, these these previous screenings, and then and the focus groups, and the same people running the focus groups. And I don't know; it seems unpredictable to me. Um, but I thought I thought we were doing a good job. But you know, I always think I'm doing a good job. But I thought it was good. I thought it was good. But you you can't you can't tell because you also seen it go from a script that was kind of, you know, okay. I mean, it's a good script, but you know, it wasn't like if we had just shot that script, I don't know that that would have had the same effect. So you get, it's a gradual thing, you know, like gradually changed No, So the answer is no, but I will say this though. um, I don't know if anyone's mentioned um, the special thing about that focus group screening, the one, one, I don't remember how many we did, but the one that stands to mind, it would have been the last one probably. we did it, I think, in Ontario, which um, I thought we were going to Canada, but it was, you know, this this Ontario in uh, in Cali- in Southern California, uh, which we, you know, they used because they, yeah, had a scene as kind of a, you know, kind of I guess typical sub suburban audience or something, cro- good yeah. cross section or something. So after that, we had a focus group meeting in um, not at the theater, but I think we had, we had some room somewhere. I don't remember where we hotel. We guess we were staying. And the, and the focus group uh, person, um, these people are very experienced, you know, they, they like, because they do all the films. So they, they can know they're much more on top of like what audience reactions are. And they can compare apples to oranges. And they came in and they give us the numbers. Uh, and, and they said, this these are the best numbers we've ever seen. Wow! And it wasn't, they, they don't speak in terms of hyperbole. They don't because I've been in other ones. Where they say not a Pixar, where they say you know, these are not good, or something like that, right? Um, so that's that's a fact, you know. Like like I've you know people, like that that has become kind of like a myth, I guess. But I was there, so that's true. They they, they did say that, and so but like well, I mean that's the only reason that I would have expected it to be as successful as it was is that they were telling us that that it, they're great numbers, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a whole different field, like audience reaction. Yeah. The key thing to know about about uh Pixar, at least the films I worked on and 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 everything that I've worked on, almost everything, is that um particularly at Pixar, we, we made the films for ourselves,
8: right? In
4: a sense, in a sense that in a sense that um, you know, we were using our we there was no intermediary, we weren't second guessing. So I, I have been on one or two things where somebody a producer or somebody says oh the kids will love it which to me is a very bad thing to say a very bad sign of somebody's saying that because it means you, you know you're not using your own instincts and and i don't know how to do you know i think that's a that's a recipe for something not being good right, right. so we're making it for ourselves just just the all ages version of ourselves you know like not all ages not for kids so all ages to me means all ages it means nobody's excluded
8: right it
4: doesn't mean uh, it's targeting one particular uh, age group right so see stuff for kids that's a whole different thing that's where you think you're superior to the material you're like well you know i'm too mature for this but you know the kids will love it you know and this, this is a dumb joke i think it's a dumb joke but the kid you know the kids will love it they don't know better that's a, that's a horrible way to make fun but a pixar it was it was for us Okay, so we would have liked to seen it
0: yeah. whether
4: other people share that view, I mean I, you know in general, I like to think of myself as as, as having a, a, a good lay per, you know a good general audience sense right. you know so like if I think like if I if I think something's funny, sad, moving, boring that that at least a certain percentage of the audience is also going to feel that way. That's, that's been my, my operating principle.
0: Well, for something like Nemo, especially, I think kids enjoy it, but it seems emotionally, it seems to impact parents specifically much more.
4: Well, so- it was made, you know, it came yeah. from, from Andrew's uh, as, as I, as I mentioned, um, you know, it, it came from Andrew's perspective as a parent. Yeah. So, so, you know, as a parent, you know, with his, you know, being over, you know, fearful that he was being overprotective. So there is that. It's it's terrifying. I wasn't a parent at the time. So I probably didn't I only knew intellectually how scary the idea of losing your child is, you know, whereas now I think I think if I if I were had been a parent then or were working on it now that I have my own kids, you know, I would have been a little more uh had a even stronger reaction to the, the basic setup. Because because the scenes are moving on their own, but you know the basic premise of my God, I've lost my kid, well, that's terrifying for a parent, you know. Uh, I wasn't as, didn't have the visceral reaction to that specific aspect of it when I was working on it.
0: Of the films that you worked on at Pixar it was Bugs Live, Toy Story 2, and Nemo, right?
4: That's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, which one do you feel like you have the strongest connection to?
4: Well, Nemo, you know, Nemo was because, because Nemo, I was on beginning to end, you know, had a great, you know, co- creative collaboration and working relationship with Andrew and everybody on the show. And, 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 was, you know, I was really proud of it and everything. Um, um, I was proud of the other ones too, but, but, you know, a bugs life. Um, you know, I, I Lee brought me up a second editor and, and I definitely, uh, am very proud of my work on that. And I did, I did, um, I, 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 did a bunch of cool stuff on it and a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff uh, that that that's in there, you know, I can point to, and, 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 and I can see, you know, where my it would be different if I hadn't been on it, but, um, But still, you know, it was it was I was, you know, stepped down in the creative um, um, kind of creative input uh, chain. And then Toy Story 2. Well, very proud of that because it was was like a miracle that we that we got made. But it came out so great, in my opinion, uh, given the the challenges, because it was an incredibly challenging experience. To, to this day, I mean, nothing phases me on, you know, I've been on films where people say, I'm sorry that this is kind of a difficult production. I'm like, you hey know, guys, this is, this is a cakewalk. I mean, just <laughs> after Toy Story 2, everything is, but um, you know, we didn't go home basically for a year I and mean, we did in a year what normally we were doing three years, but, but I was brought on, you know, um, in in the middle or, you know, to on, on, on a, on a, on a, moving onto a moving train we kind of parachuted onto a moving train i was the first one on of 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 the of the of the kind of the the, the rescue team um but um or the the relief team let's say but um so there, so there was that aspect to it um and you know and it's a sequel um so you know nemo we were we were forging new territory so but uh, toy story 2 was was a fantastic experience in hindsight Uh, i wouldn't want to go through it again really painful but uh but your creatively it was extremely um fantastic uh you know uh experience but nemo nemo was the one that you know like beginning to end was was you know as it should be so to speak
0: yeah and uh finally i think we want to go to the last question absolutely we we know that Pixar is is a, just
1: a part of your career. What have you worked on post Pixar? And if you can tell us, it's okay if you can't. What have you been working on now? What's what's on the on the docket to come?
4: Well, I left Pixar, um, you know, because I I got an offer to uh, from Jeffrey Katzenberg to, to come uh, direct um, at, at something at uh, DreamWorks Animation. Um, so. Uh, Little did I real, you know, I was just a babe in the woods when it came to like studio politics. It's never really been, you know, I've always been focused on the creative end of things, and I never, you know, luckily I have I have an agent, you know, a better a, a good agent now, a great agent now. Uh, I don't want to dis any, any earlier agents, but uh, um, to take care of the, the politics, but um, yeah, but uh, so I so I left I left there. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg said, "Come on down," and at the time. Pixar was, you know, a bit of a pyramid. I'd made my way to the top of the editorial right. part of it, but then there was like a complete bottleneck in terms of, you know, it didn't feel like there were going to be any opportunities. You know, it felt like Lee was the last and only person to ever move up to the director's chair from right. editing. And, uh, and of course he did it on the strength of his skill and talent, but, but, but he also got in uh, early with John on um on Toy Story. John was very John Lasseter was very uh I mean he, he was very respectful to all of us and 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 great, but but it was really the the people that had been with him through the trenches on Toy Story that, that really you know, got 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 promoted to the what, what became called the brain trust and and I was kind of just right right on the outside looking in there. So so um so I you know went down to Dreamworks, went down came back down to Southern California for um to for a year of, of, of trying to get something made, you know, you know, developing things. Yeah. And eventually I got put on to, um, not a hundred percent voluntarily, uh, you know, but I signed a contract, got put on to, uh, you know, as one of two, two directors on, on this, um, Shrek holiday special, um, which, um, and there's fun stories there, but, but in the end, um, you know the version we were working on didn't get made, and then Gary Trousdale—you know—we got taken off. Gary Trousdale, uh, who who was one of the directors on Beauty and the Beast, he 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 took over and did a great job. It's Called Shrek the Halls. So there's stuff in there that, yeah, that is remains from from when Mark Baldo and I were directing it. But uh, you know that kind of that kind of petered out, and I didn't want to just hang around, you know, um, not getting stuff made, which which unfortunately can happen in in, in the world of animation development. So then uh what I do, then I I can't remember the sequence. I guess I went to uh went back to New York because you know, wanted to always always you know love New York and 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 you know keep trying to get back to the East Coast, um, worked at Blue Sky Studios, c- c- cut um one of the Ice Age films, Ice Age. This is the fourth one. Continental drift, Continental Continental, right? Continental Continental Trip, right? <laughs> uh, which was, you know, which was, which was, uh, you know, fun in many ways. But you know, again, we're talking, we're talking um, sequel in a long-running franchise. You know, the like creative input opportunities for the editor. You know, especially, you know, different studios work in different ways, and the opportunities right. for the editorial are, are not um, are, are not quite the same as what I was used to at Pixar, and that was frustrating a little bit. Um, and I had done a little bit of editorial consulting on like the Wallace and Grumman film I was a dreamworks as a favor to to Jeffrey. Um, and after that, then what the SpongeBob film, you know, for Paramount Animation. Um then then what did I do? Then then I was then I went back to New York where I was like developing another film for this, you know, kind of independent, this kind of wealthy high-tech guy who wanted to make a film, which came uh, it was it was actually pretty good. And um uh, it would have been pretty good. Only, I think, in the end, he, he just wasn't the film guy, and you know, he, he didn't he didn't wind up want. It. He wasn't really willing to commit the, the funding to 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 make it. In the end, I think he when when it came right down to it, and um, and then and then what? Then then uh then my old pal Ash Brannon, who you know who who I know from Pixar, who was uh you know the co one of the co directors on um Toy Story two. He gave me a call, asked me if I'd I'd come in and help out on um, I'd cut this the um, pilot, the first episode of this show he was doing at Riot Games, right? You know, uh, right. the League of Legends guys, um, uh, which is you know arcane, which was which was just released. This is hugely
0: as, popular here. Oh yeah,
4: yeah. That 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 was um, it's it's a cool show. Um, but I did that so long ago.
0: Yeah,
4: like five years ago, four and a half, five years ago. Did that so long ago that you know, and, and at the time it wasn't clear if it would ever see the light of day, just because riot is a game company and, and it, you know, and it wasn't clear like what they were planning to do with it. Um, and, and if they even knew how to handle it, but, um, Christian link, who, who kind of is the, you know, kind of the showrunner, creative genius behind it. Uh, he, 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 he knew what he was doing in the end. And, um, and so they, um, so, yeah, so they got it onto Netflix. And, and so anyway, the point is when it appeared on Netflix early, you know, late last year, it was like it was kind of a surprise. I didn't even know. Uh, well, I knew they, they, I'd seen any I'd seen some emails from the Riot, Riot Games folks. But um, but I, you know, that was like in my past already. I, I didn't even yeah. know, uh, you know, what they'd done with the later episodes. I mean, they were working on a few of them, you know, a, a few of the episodes. While I was there, and I, you know, even uh, you know, helped out a little on some of them. But uh, but the final episodes, I you know, I didn't even know where they were going with that. So that was that was great to see. So that was a fun surprise. Uh and that was a fun thing to do. You know, that was uh working with these this studio Fortiche in, in Paris. we made a couple trips there, and, and that was fun. Um, and this just just really cool project. Um, and then uh then the Adams family uh right. First of the two, you know, an- animated films for MGM, right? And um, and then and now what I'm working on now, which is called Under the Boardwalk for back for back for Paramount Animation. And it's gonna be really fun. It's um it's a musical. Uh you know, I've worked on films that that had songs in them, right? But wow. this is the first musical. The music's great. It's really great. It's uh I think I think it's uh I love it. I mean it's you know, it's it's uh when you're working on something you have to hear it, you know, it's playing sequences again and again and again so it's really a great sign that 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 um that it's still fun you know it's still toe tapping and right and then you know it's great cast and and uh I, I think it's gonna be good that's coming out this summer
0: oh okay and, wow
4: yeah you it's know, wow. coming out in um working on this for like two years two and a half right you know started right before covid you know started on the lot and then started working from home uh and fun thing about animation editing it's one of the perfect jobs for covid because we didn't miss a beat I mean
8: yeah.
4: I don't even know that I don't know I don't even know that there was even a full down day. I think you know, like half a day of moving the equipment and then and then back up, you know. So I mean, we'll have to yeah.
0: when under the boardwalk comes out, we'll have to do a follow-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be, yeah all, be, all, be, all about be, that movie.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. I think I think it's gonna be fun, you know. But again, you know, like if you know, same question for, for Nemo, like you asked me, like, you know what's the public reception going to be? All I can say is I, I think it's a fun film. I think people like it, but, but you know, like, it's always a, like a black box, like this mystery, you know? Right. When like, can what, we what, start,
0: when are we going to start hearing more about that?
4: I have no idea, you know, because the reason, the the main reason for that, I mean, obviously it'll have to be, you'll have to start hearing soon. I'm not aware of any teaser having been made, but um, every, A, every studio has its different, Right. To these things. I, I know what the Pixar routine was, the Disney and the Pixar routine in terms of, you know, a t- teaser would be made a certain amount of time before and it would be kind of brainstormed in house, which is fairly unusual. And and then the first trailer would come at this time and the second trailer would come at that time because um, we had to get stuff ready for them. And we were in part of the meetings for brainstorming. And, and a lot of times we'd even cut that stuff. Um, not always. Um, but but the other studios have different schedules. But then more than that, COVID so, has so changed everything you know, like like nobody now really knows till it gets closer. Like, are we going to keep the release date? Is it going to be released theatrically, simultaneously, streaming? And, you know, like yeah. how many great thrillers, how many previews? This is all a new world as far as everybody's concerned.
0: Yeah, well, we can't wait to see yeah, it. Yeah, that's very exciting. Um, Nemo's like a super emotional movie uh, and it, it gets a lot of people to cry. And for someone who's worked on it, uh, you know for years and years and years do you have that reaction to it or is it more just like memories of working on it
4: well do i have that reaction well i don't watch it that that right that frequently so i i can't necessarily tell you what my reaction would be if i watched it now I, but usually you know i do i do get a little bit of a of a, a of a emotional reaction um but um you know you have to also keep in mind that the anyone who works on a film especially for years right. the actual film you know watching the it's it, it, it's different from from seeing something like when i watch any other film that i didn't work on where i'm just the film is the thing and that's what i'm ex- experiencing reacting the film itself is 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 tied up with memories of uh of the making you know to the point where where there are times when when you know when i'm watching finished film after years and think oh i forgot i forgot we ultimately went that way i was remembering a much earlier version you know maybe for years you know especially for things that got changed kind of late in the process where most of the time it was a different way or i'll, I'll, I'll think oh that was the music I, I i'm remembering the temp music and you know um but but more to the point i would say would be what's the reaction working on it because the great thing about those films, Nemo in particular, and 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 uh, and Toy Story 2, to some extent, um, was that um, I was able to 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 get the material to a point where, um, or we were able to, you know, get the material to the point where the material was was good enough. To, I, we were able to get the material to a point where, where I, I was able to have a strong emotional reaction working on it much of the time. You know, when you're working on something like you know you're looking at something like 20 30 times 50 times a day for for mo- you know weeks or months uh you know there's times when you're going to be a little more checked out but most of the time i was, I was emotionally engaged and that's a great sign and that's very rare wow. right that's a tribute to the material more than anything um which is a tribute to Everybody collectively who worked on it, yeah, and that—that that was, you know, the emotional reaction is very tough. You know, even just finding something funny repeatedly uh, means it's <laughs> tough. Which, which, which I did. I really enjoyed working on that stuff. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't look at look at it uh, after, you know, a, after a certain amount of time and think, oh, I don't want to have to work on this again. It was always, almost always uh, engaging and entertaining and moving, right? And that's that's very unique. And that's how you know that something's very special, right?
0: Basil, I think Nemo was one of the first films for a lot of kids our age that resonated with us on such a deep level. Absolutely, Brandon. So getting to talk to Craig Hood and David Salter about their exceptional work on this film was a real privilege since it's a movie that will continue to move people for years and years to come.
1: Up Late with Luxo is produced at Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts. All recordings copyright by their respective owners in their respective years. Special thanks to Craig Good, David Salter, Hayden Bandy's, Andrew Foley, Tom Hogan, Jack Murphy, Bay Slavic, Calvin Soares, and Sawyer Stalo. Up late with Luxo, copyright 2022, Egghead Studios. All rights reserved. Thanks
8: for listening.